Welcome to the Roots Podcast, brought to you from the Training and Equipping Ministry of Chanctonbury, exploring revival, church, leadership and culture. Discover more about our community at chanctonbury.org.uk. Who's happy? Who's on the way to being happy? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that we've got further to go. Yay! Um, let me let me just say a couple of things um, to finish off what we were doing with John 14, and then I'm going to hit a few of the questions that were coming out during that, um, just gathering them from from one another. Um, when is that passage about? I think that passage is so clearly about the ascension. Uh, Jesus is going away and he's going to come back. He goes away then to the cross. He comes back in the resurrection and takes us to where he is in the ascension. So when Jesus ascends on high to sit down at the right hand of the Father, as we trust in him, we are in Christ. And what happens when you simply accept Jesus is you suddenly find yourself seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 uh, teaches us. Because Jesus says he's going away, but we will see him and we'll be where he is. And until that time where we meet him bodily, materially, in the marriage supper of the Lamb, as we were looking at on Sunday, he's given us the helper, the third person of the Trinity, to remind us of everything and to bring us all, all that we need uh, until that time comes. So I think this passage is about the ascension of Jesus when he takes us by, by our faith and we trust in him into uh, the heavenly places with the Lord. And what we find then is that he's in the Father <laughs> and we're in him, so we're up there with him. But we're in this in-between time where he's also in us. Because we're still here physically, materially, on earth, until the time where Jesus returns, all things are put right, the new Jerusalem descends, and God will be back in the place of creation, the uncreated God in the place of creation, for all of eternity from here on in. And so this is why we have this weird Russian doll, inward and outward thing going on. It's like, we're in him, he's in the Father, but then the Father's in him and he's also in us. It's going both ways because we are in two places. We are in heavenly places spiritually with Christ and he is also spiritually with us as we live out our lives on earth. Does this make sense? Second um, thing that somebody picked up which was a great question was the question... Well, I seem to say that until, until the giving of the Spirit, Jesus was the only person who had the Holy Spirit. That was Nicky T at the back, good man. So how were the disciples doing the works of the kingdom before they received the Spirit? Great question, isn't it? Now we know they were doing the works of the kingdom, don't we? Because he gathered the twelve... 
he sent them out two by two. He then gathered the 72, sent them out, and they returned and they, we know, we know they're doing the works of the kingdom because they're so excited. They say, Lord, Lord, even the demons submit to us. It's like we've, we've like taken our spiritual machine guns down to Brighton, and, you know, to some dark satanic festival. And then, you know, we ghost busting the whole time. Isn't it cool? And Jesus says, um, hang on a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. The works are cool, but don't forget what this is really about. Your name's written in the book of life. And um, so how were they doing those works if they haven't received the Spirit? Somebody was in them. Somebody was in them? Yes. Who? Was it a false? Was it, was it a demon? Was it a false prophet? Was it a false apostle? What they're talking about, something's going to happen to them, so they haven't got the Father and the Son yet. He, they, they've been around them, but they will be in them. Is what Jesus? Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on people in order for them to do what He wanted to So again, let's try and try and use our use our um, Bible knowledge. What we what we don't find in the Gospels is any record of the Holy Spirit coming on the disciples before two places. One is when Jesus breathes on them in, in the, the room that they were hiding in um, after he's been raised from the dead. And secondly, it's at Pentecost. So there's no mention of the Holy Spirit being on anybody else before those, um, those events. Miss Beckley! <laughs> <laughs> How are they doing the works? Okay, yeah, right, 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 let me get this together. 
try and get myself together. Okay, here we go. Um, uh, uh, whatever. But he has given us authority. And if I... Um, let me put this another way. Uh, if the Queen came, drove up Church Lane to Ashington and gave me the key to the City of London and said, whatever you decide will happen. And she came here, she gave it to me and I went up to London and I said, right, <laughs> we're going to make everything free at Harrods and we're going to take it to all the homeless shelters. Wouldn't that be cool, wouldn't it? Um, I could do that because she's given me authority because she's a sovereign. The disciples are operating under the, the belief in the authority of Jesus and demons submit to that. So they are basically accessing the ability to cast out demons, to heal the sick and to teach and all those things because of their, their pulling on the authority of Jesus. We, we, we are operating under the sovereign's authority. And that just has to happen because he's the Lord of heaven and earth. Okay? What happens um, when the Holy Spirit comes is they still have the authority, but now they have the presence. So what we don't have in the Gospels is the disciples having their clothes touched and deliverance or healing happening, as it did with Jesus. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She just touched the hem of his cloak. And he felt power go out from him. Because, why? He's got the Spirit on him, he's got the Father in him, and the three of them are just operating, and healing's released. Because that's what happens. What we find in the book of Acts, after receiving the Holy Spirit, is the presence of God is now in the disciples of Jesus. And so what happens in Acts chapter 5? Just a shadow. They're bringing bodies into the street so that Peter's shadow will heal them. A handkerchief gets sent out by Paul in Acts 19 all over Asia. And people are getting delivered of demons just by touching the handkerchief. There's nothing special in the handkerchief or nothing special in the shadow. But now the presence of God has come into them and they're able to pull and access that very presence of the Trinity which is now resident inside them. Does this make sense? Does that answer your question, Nick? The disciples pre-Pentecost, pre pre-receiving the Holy Spirit, are operating under the authority of their Master. And that's one realm that we can access by faith. They're also, then adding to that, they then get the presence of God to be released through them as they minister. And, that, and that's, you can see this in the life of Jesus. Sometimes he just says a word. When the centurion comes to him and says, I'm a man under authority, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And he is. No, he's using his authority. Woman with the issue of blood, he's using the presence. Okay? Yeah, Can I just ask, um, the disciples were spending so much time around Jesus wouldn't his anointing have rubbed off on them to a certain extent? Yeah, quite possibly. 
We just don't have any record of it. So, um, maybe, uh, probably. I mean, we know he did way more than... Uh, we can imagine all the things that he could have done. We just need to be careful that we're not saying they definitely happened. John says at the end of his Gospel, I mean, the whole world wouldn't contain enough books for all the things that Jesus did. But we just have to be a bit careful. We just don't see the spilling over of his anointing as, as, as presence upon the disciples before they get the one who's been around them suddenly coming into them. Well, they never broke, broke, broke the bread in any of the records of feeding a lot of people. It's always Jesus that did that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tony. They healed in the name. In the name. Thank you. And the name is Jesus, not Jesus Christ, because Christ is the title. Jesus is the name. That's why that last chorus that we sung was so marvelous. It was Jesus, Jesus, Son of God, all the way through. Mm. And when God refers to Jesus, both at his baptism and the transfiguration, it's the beloved. And that's what we need to hang on to. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Really good. Is that right, everybody? Okay. A couple of other questions. Um, I just want to hit this social gospel versus drunken frenzy charismatics. <laughs> My son um, is doing an online uh, evangelism course at the moment, like a, uh, a sort of national thing. And they've got to read a bunch of books on evangelism. And he came to me over Christmas and he said, um, Daddy, I'm reading all these books and they're really awesome, but none of them seem to talk about the signs of the kingdom. A lot about preaching, a lot about, um, all about evangelism, but none of them seem to be charismatics. Why is that? And I said um, to him, it's so true. You, you often get spirit-filled charismatic churches who get locked in the room and don't share the gospel, or you get people who are passionate about evangelism who are often a bit sketchy on church, because it's all a waste of time. You know, let's get out and save souls. Even though if they get saved, where do they go next? But anyway. Um, and, uh, um, but also often not walking in the same type of evangelism Jesus did. <laughs> so I said to him, I think this is the challenge for us to bring together the passion for saving souls and the power of God that actually demonstrates the reality of who he is and bring them together in this perfect unity um, to see a nation changed. You know, this is why um, you know, we've released Nick Taylor as our head of community outreach. We're basically investing a full-time role to make sure that he's the guy beating the drum, saying we are not going to get stuck in a room. But let's not despise the room, because if you're seeking to change the world without the power and presence of God, well, good luck to you. And that's why so many churches and Christians get burnt out. It's impossible to be burnt out when you're living in the presence of God. So if you come across somebody who's burnt out 
It's just because they're not connecting with the presence of God. Now they may be too busy. They may have, have had a, a sustained period of stress or, or whatever it is. I'm not condemning that. But hang on a minute. If, <laughs> this is where we come back to what we just read. If we're in him and he's in the Father and all of that's made known to us by the Spirit, we're in the very presence of God. You can't be burnt out there because there's life just flowing and emanating. Not only that, but he's come and resident within us. So we've got the Father, we've got the Son, and we've got the Spirit all within us. So why are you burnt out? Because you're not, you're not paying attention to Him. And you're trying to do it in your own strength. So I'm trying to answer what you said, John, which is a, a very apt analysis of what happens to many, many churches. Is to, and this is what I would say, why we are, and I'll talk to you about this on the 2nd of February, but as a leadership, intentionally, ruthlessly, seeking to structure our leadership and the life of the church around the fivefold leadership giftings in Ephesians 4. Because we don't want to be a one-eyed church that focuses around the pet passions of one or two people. Now you'll go to some churches and you can walk in all the time and see what they're about. Outreach, 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 outreach. And the quality of relationships are whatever and the marriages fall apart after a bit because they all just like, uh, you know. Or they're really enthusiastic, they're into the presence but actually hard times come and all the roots wither away because there's no teaching. Or they're just not very good at praying and so why is there not much breakthrough? Because their prophetic intercessory arm is not unfurled. Or they haven't got a mindset for pursuing a breaking new ground. And for imparting this to all the believers, which is the apostolic mindset. And so all these five need to flow in perfect harmony for, Ephesians 4, the body of Christ to grow into the fullness of Christ. Then you'll be no longer tossed to and fro by every you know, wave of whatever and cunning and all of that, but you will grow into maturity and unity and become the fullness of Christ on earth. So, the evangelist is given, um, sorry I'm going into other areas, but I will come to your, your question in a moment. The evangelist is there to remind us that Jesus said, freely you've received, now freely give away. And we're giving away the good news of God and we're seeking to model the compassion of God in the, in the works of the kingdom and the deeds of mercy and compassion. You know, um, sorry, I mean, uh, yeah, so, so that, uh, that's our, our, sorry, let me back up a little bit. I'm excited, I'm losing my track. When Jesus ascended, he gave us everything that we need and he also had a, a governmental structure for the church to, to thrive and prevail. And that's why Ephesians 4, that when he ascended on high, he gave gifts that some would be called to be apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, for the equipping of the whole body. Not so that five people get to do stuff and everybody sits there like a lemming. Um, you know, it's for the equipping of the whole church. So Monday to Saturday, we're driving forward, we're in our workplace, we're bringing hope in despair, we're bringing joy and sorrow, we're bringing healing in, in brokenness. So, uh, so that the body of Christ is equipped and rises up into the fullness. I think um, 
One of the things in John 14 that was a repeated phrase in the second half was, was obey my commandments. And I think it would really help us not silo into either being into the poor and the social gospel or being into charismatic stuff if we just decided we're going to seek to live out his commandments. <laughs> um, because the mandate in Luke 4 that he gave us is that good news is being preached to the poor and the lame, I think physically and spiritually, are going to leap for joy at the good news of the kingdom coming to inhabit the earth. And so I think it's impossible for us to get stuck in a room if we're becoming healthy and that has to manifest itself in signs and wonders and in the embracing of the lost and the least as it did with Jesus. I hope that answers your question. And I think if you want to know what we believe as a church, look at our vision. Our vision as a church is not to be a charismatic church. It's not. <laughs> Our vision as a church is to see God's kingdom come and his will be done here in this place. And if his kingdom is coming and his will is being, is being done in this place, then I think that means no children should wake up hungry in the morning and not be fed properly. There are tons of broken people and I think with the land that we've got and the resources we've been given, we should be giving them homes and embracing them. And I don't think we should be doing that in our own strength because we all know what it's like to try and serve the poor and the marginalised out of our own resources, which very quickly run out. And that's why we need to become the people that he's called us to be, flowing with the presence of the Trinity so that we're pulling on his presence. And that's how we find love for the unlovely. That's how we don't get burnt out. I believe that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's, it's believing. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got to test out are we for real? Yeah. And what I would say is look, you know, look at our vision. The point is not to have the gifts of the Spirit operating. Then, tip, Changtonbury's done a good job. The point, <laughs> the point of welcoming the gifts of the Spirit is we need them. How could we possibly be Christians without them? <laughs> it doesn't work. But the point is that through the body of Christ on earth, that the church will be equipped for the work of the ministry, see God's kingdom come and his will be done, here where we live, so that this place increasingly looks like heaven. Until Jesus returns. Is that alright? Any additional questions on that one? I think I heard what you said is who are the poor? Is that what you said? Yeah, just because 
always had before a master. And yeah. The greater thing was worshipping him. Yeah. But I always see that in our worship of him, we look after the Lord. Yeah. So, what do you really mean okay. by that? Yeah? Really, really great question. Again, taking us back to the Word, we find all the answers um, that we need. Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Jesus says, um, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Start the Sermon on the Mount. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke, unfortunately, turns up the temperature. <laughs> and Luke, Luke says, Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, which doesn't mean that one of them's lying, you know, or any of that. But Luke says, Blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now what's going on there? Um, <clears throat> if you've been in a place where there's extreme material lack, often the church are way more supernaturally awoken because they know what it is to depend on God. They just know what it is to have no food that day and to ask their Father in heaven as Jesus taught them and then to see supernatural provision come from somewhere. So, that in a sense, it can be easier to apprehend the supernatural resource of heaven when you're in a situation of material lack. Our challenge as, as rich, and we are rich, Westerners, is to foster utter dependency on God, surrounded by lots and lots and lots. But, you know, when I knock on doors in our communities, even some of the big houses, which probably cost about a million quid, opposite the church, there's utter, utter spiritual poverty. They've got everything that life brings you, but they've got nothing. And some of them really know it. And some of them don't know it quite yet, but they will, because, as my father-in-law would say, your last shirt doesn't have any pockets. And... Um, you could be powerful in life for a season. But I mean, COVID's taught us there are forces in life that are out of our control, however rich or wealthy you, know, you are. Um, it's even grounded some of the elite in the world, hasn't it? Where borders have been shut, you know. None of us have unlimited power. And sometimes people get deceived into thinking that. Um, but but on it, you sit down with, with some folks and they're... They're lost. They are poor in spirit. And we are utterly different. Because money can't buy you peace, which passes understanding. It just can't. Now, um, I think we just have to find, find both. The poor will always be with you. I think Jesus is teaching that because the demonic systems of society will be perpetuated until Jesus returns, meaning that there are losers somewhere because it's a, it's a broken world. That doesn't let us off the hook. Um, we want to be serving people, but just recognise that if we... <laughs> I remember about 15 years ago, there were a lot of books saying the, um, the eradication of poverty. Or who remembers Bono in uh, the year 2000? Jubilee, let's cancel all the debt of um, the majority of world countries. Oh my goodness, I think the debts are greater now than they were then. 
If we could work it out through our own intellect, we should have been able to do it by now. But, you know, the seduction of, um, and corruption of the world is such that I think Jesus is saying it's a reality that Paul will be with him. deviates into our pet passions. So a lot of social gospel guys end up being a bit alternative, often a bit out of church, and not, I'm not, sorry, I'm caricaturing, because they're like, let's get on with the proper stuff, you know, we need to serve people and all of that, and a lot of them end up burnt out. Because they've decided their passion is they can't, they can't go to bed at night knowing that there are some guys living on the streets, you know, in Worthing, in sideways rain, in minus two degrees. They can't bear it because that's a godly passion that he's placed in their lives that burns to see people adopted into families and provided for and looked after. Um, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you've ever done ministry amongst the most broken, it is, it is hard work if you're not plugged in to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because people become unlovely for a reason. They've been sinned against and they've sinned and they're hard to love. And that's why you need the baptism of the Father's love so that it flows out of you because you pour in, pour in, pour in, and the next day you pour in, pour in, pour in, and you pour in, pour in, pour in, and you pour in, pour in, pour in, and they let you down. And it doesn't always work like that. And so you've got to have this flow. And so sometimes I think we just need a more rounded picture of the church so that we can prioritise the poor and do that from a place of spiritual abundance in our hearts. That stops us from getting burnt out. But prioritizing the poor neglects the first commandment. The most important thing Jesus says. The social gospel guys will be like, we've got to love our neighbours. The church is so selfish and self-centered. We've got to love our neighbours. And, so, and society loves this because it loves the idea of trying to be God without God. I remember when I was a chaplain in a secondary school on the South Coast. They wanted all the social benefits of Christianity, the, the ethical, moral teaching that you can do without God. And I was in a constant clash, so I was like, yeah, we can try. But it only really works when you place God in the centre of your lives. Because then when you honour God, He will graciously come and dwell in your hearts and then give you the resources you need to do the second commandment. Hundred percent. The first and most important is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the social gospel guys need to know that cannot stay in your room because he says from that place, love your neighbour as yourself. But don't don't divorce the two. Uh, and I think Jesus is just teaching guys. There's all sorts of good, noble things that we ought to be doing, but extravagant worship is what delights his heart. And her story, the woman who broke that jar of perfume, Jesus said, 
will be told throughout all ages because she's done what is more important. All right? That's good, guys? So it's kind of one of those, you know, let's not be grumpy prophetic people where we walk in and say, here's all the things that we're not doing. But let's keep one another to account as God's church around that Ephesians 4 vision. We want the flow of God's kingdom amongst us, but it has to go out. And as we go out, what you tend to find is the river gets deeper, Ezekiel 47. You know, it's so thrilling when you knock on someone's door and you release healing into somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. And you're like, oh man, we thought this only had worked at the front on Sunday when the band have got a nice back and everyone's feeling juiced up because they've had a good old passionate preach. No, this is, John Wimber used to say, the meat's on the street. And it's thrilling. And if you get beaten up, as happened to the first disciples, who by the way all ended up martyred, apart from one, if you get beaten up, well that's why we come back to the, the Lord. We come back as God's people and he builds us up again. And then he says, okay, we're going to go again. And, and so we, we keep one another to account to make sure it doesn't get stuck in a room. But we also don't despise the room. Because that's where we're getting a foretaste of what will be ours forever one day. And he builds us up into his likeness. Okay? Is this alright, everybody? Yeah. Can I just say one thing? We, it doesn't have to um, it, the they of the social gospel, it's not a they, is it? We are the social yeah. gospel, yeah. and we are the we are the spiritual gospel, and we are the evangelical gospel. Yeah. There's no separation. Yeah. What what I what I, what I love about um, are some of our core team members on the storehouse are also some of our best evangelists. <laughs> and I love the marriage of that where we're doing deep, powerful compassion, feeding those with nothing, and also sharing Jesus, who is the pearl of great price. Um, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think just to answer your question, um, John, we're not social gospel people, and we're not charismatic people, we're kingdom people. And I think in the kingdom, people get fed, and people get cared for, and people get looked after, and broken hearts get bound up, and blind eyes open, and the Lord is honoured as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yeah. It just reminded um, the Book of Acts where some of the widows were being um, missed out on, and they chose to <coughs> be spirit filled. Obviously, Stephen, Stephen was one of them. They specifically chose people with the spirit filled to do that, you know, mundane job to, to provide for the widows. Really good, really good, really good. I think, where should we go? Is this helpful, everybody? Yeah? Um, I think what I would, what I would say as an opener on the question about learnt behaviour in a crowd um, versus a sovereign move of God 
is kind of touching on Mike's question about why is the Holy Spirit a gentleman rather than a sumo wrestler. <laughs> um, and, and Jesus said, he who's been around you will be in you and that's the full expression of the Trinity is coming to dwell inside you and you will, you will dwell in the full expression of the Trinity. But it doesn't come to take total control over our lives. What I mean by that is, um, I was saying to some of our young adults um, last year, free will is given to us by God, and in 60 minutes I could throw away my ministry. You know, I could, I could walk into the co-op, steal a bunch of stuff, you know, commit whatever heinous sin. In 60 minutes, I can do that. That power is at my disposal because I have free will. But I don't do that because I seek to crucify the flesh and to live out as God calls me to. Or, yeah, this, is, this is what surprises us when big heroes of ours fall. God never withdraws our capacity to, of free will. He, he works in our hearts, but if you take your eyes off, um, off the Lord, we can indulge sin and lust and evil in, in a heartbeat. Can't we? Do we believe that? We believe that because we know it's true, don't we? You know your own life and, uh, and you know mine. And, and so we get the full expression of the Trinity. But again, going back to the commandments of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, he says, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow after me in that way. So the way that the Trinity becomes a fuller and fuller expression in our lives is through a constant yielding and crucifying of the flesh to make room for him. Now I've prayed probably every day since I've known the Lord. Lord, I give you my life. You know, I turn my life over to you. I crucify the flesh. You know, I, I repent of my sins. I give you my heart. I give you everything. But I know that my depth of surrender is greater now than it was 10 years ago. Because the Spirit has brought things to my mind that he wants to deal with. Who wants to call me into, um, and and so um, I say that to try and answer your question, Mike. Is that he? What the Lord loves is not a robotic, forced love, but a, a genuine, desirous love. Putting this in the language of what I was talking about on Sunday, the bridegroom is going to receive a bride who has made herself ready. Who was so desired to be ready for him that the heart reflects the commandment. The desire is for him and him alone. And that's the call and the invitation um, for all of us. And that's why he comes as a gentleman to honour our free will and to call us into ever-increasing yieldedness. And somebody said, how do we deal with our blockages? Nick's just left. <laughs> he asked me that question. Um, 
before Christmas. How do I deal with this? I said, just do it. <laughs> How do I deal with my stuff? Well, just do it. Just deal with it. How do I get rid of this? Well, repent of it and don't do it anymore. <laughs> There's no rocket science. You know, you've got to desire him more than you desire that. And there comes a point where you just say, I just, I cannot abide to live another day doing that anymore. And so, the, I think the, the brave question is, Holy Spirit, please show me the things that are blockages to more of you in my life. But if you start praying that prayer, he will answer it. He will answer it. Because he wants every single part of us. And it's a brave prayer to some extent. But it's not really a brave prayer. Because the kindest thing any of us can, can receive from the Lord is him. Narrow is the road to our humanistic eye. Jesus said. But it's the way to everlasting life. So the more that we die to ourselves and give ourselves to him. The more we come alive. So I think I would say, if we want more of the Holy, the Holy Spirit, then we begin to pray prayers like, Lord, please show me where I'm walking in my own ways and not yours. Please show me blockages in my life. And he will show you. You know, I remember when, when I first started receiving powerful revelation of the Father's love. Do you know what the Lord did? He gave me a whole bunch of conflict situations where I had to love somebody that I found really, really difficult. And that was his training method. <laughs> Hebrews 12, God disciplines. What's the root word of the word discipline? God disciples the children that he loves. So it's not a, a mushy, counselling, big, you know, sloppy, like crying my eyes out, hug with the Father. Well, it is that. But it's for the fruit of that to be cashed out. That we can love one another. You know, if we start praying, Lord, help me to be more patient. Do you know what he's going to do? He's going to send you annoying people. <laughs> if you want to say, Lord, help me to be, self, help me to be more self-controlled. He's going to send you temptations. <laughs> Lord, help me to be more gentle. What's he going to send you? Situations that make you really angry. Because in that moment, he wants us to depend on him and not our own old, old person resources. Does this make sense? So I would just say, how do we deal with the blockages? You start praying. Say, Lord, show me. Some of them were coming out, weren't they? Our fear of what happens when God is on the move. Great question would be, would be to say, Holy Spirit, why am I afraid that someone's going to be damaged in this moment? Was that one of your questions, John? The positive side of that question is that you have a heart for people and a love for them and possibly a zeal for God's church that it won't go into error or, or into bad territory. That's the positive side of it. The flip side of it is, I just don't think it's possible for God to be moving and everything to be really neat and tidy. 
I just don't. And Jesus said, I've come to bring a sword. And he didn't say, I've come for all your weird behaviours to be put on display. <laughs> but whenever God is moving, the temperature's turned up and it brings out our deepest fears and insecurities. And that's the moment where we, we just need to deal with them. Sometimes it's past experiences of church which have gone badly. You know, it took me four years to overcome what happened to me at age 11. But I had to deal with it to open myself up to God. And the church messes stuff up all the time. But for some gloriously gracious reason, Jesus just loves the church and keeps pouring out his spirit on, on people who mess it up all the time. I cannot guarantee you that Chank will never mess up what God is doing. I just can't. I was saying to our church warden, uh, again before Christmas, we could throw it away in an instant. By taking a grievance to heart and taking offence, and suddenly we built a division straight away into the heart of the church. It can happen in a moment. I cannot guarantee you that everything is going to be, it's going to be healthy. But we're going to try and when we mess up, the Father will pick us back up and put us back together. And if someone, if someone is doing something a bit fleshy in a meeting, or, or let, me, let me touch on another area. Uh, one question came during the break. What if I've got a tongue? Should I share it? Should I not share it? I don't want to mess it up. I've been in some churches that do this or do that. If you're leading a meeting, I would say to our team, it's much harder leading a service or a gathering or a meeting or a KFC gathering. It's much harder leading than it is teaching. When you're teaching, hopefully you've been with God and got some stuff, <laughs> but it's you delivering. When you're leading a meeting, you're the conductor of an orchestra and you need to make sure the bassoons don't play when the flute should be. And the violins don't play when the trumpet should be. So if you've got a spiritual gift to be used, you know, we want to be a place of freedom. But it's our job to lead through that. And hopefully most of the time we'll get it right. Sometimes we won't. But if you've got something, we will be discerning, is it right for now or not? But you just, as long as you've got a soft heart and a worshipful heart, and you're doing whatever your gift is for the edification of the body, then you crack on. And we will, if we're leading the meeting, or your KFC leader's leading the meeting, it's their responsibility to steward it, to ensure that Jesus remains the centre of what's going on. And, you know, that's why sometimes, I mean, several of us here have done this, you come up and you've given us a word. And sometimes we'll go with that and sometimes we won't. So never go into rejection if we don't go with your word. It might be, it's our job to work out, is that for now? Or is it for next week? Is it for later? Is that just to be prayed over? Or is it to be released now? And so sometimes we'll go with something and sometimes we won't. But we're, we're just seeking to just guide through and steer through what God is doing so that his kingdom is allowed to not be quenched, but to come in power and to fill the room. Is that all right?
So there are moments where there's possible rejection, because someone says no. <laughs> um, but hey, that's all right. You know, if we get it wrong, it's okay. Because Jesus didn't say you can be part of my gang if you get everything right all the time. <laughs> um, and I haven't, I, I haven't got everything right all the time. Felicity, you said, is it, is it okay to be out in the world um, ministering and using the gifts? People have got tattoos or, yes, or whatever. in non-conventional ways. Yeah. I think you know the answer to your question, don't you? <laughs> well, what, what's the Holy Spirit for? Building up. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father. And you will receive power. Because to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To weird places and to strange people. And I think that's being the light of the world and the soul of the earth, isn't it? So I would, I would say... We've had a little spirit outside 100%. There's a whole bunch of people growing up now who've worked out the rational modernism and the belief in never-ending human progress isn't quite all it's cranked up to be. Um, and, and so what we've got is uh, people who are open to spiritual experiences. And I think we should be right, right in the midst of that confident. I think all I would, all I'd say to anybody doing that stuff is just remember how Jesus sent the guys. They were sent, so they went under his authority and his covering, and they went two by two. So don't get isolated. Um, yeah, if you're the only one in your workplace, find a friend who can't come into work, but can pray for you. Um, and I would say, if you're going um, on some of these missions, just make sure that you know the church is covering you, praying for you, um, and just make sure you go in at least two, um, so that we can just support one another in that. Let me give you an, let me give you an example. Um, how we can be assured of the power of God. Um, I went to take a funeral um, probably five years ago now, just around the corner, and it was a really sad situation. Didn't know the family before, but the mum was early 50s and had died of uh, breast cancer. She left behind a daughter um, who was about 18 and um, was now living on her own, disenfranchised from her dad um, and from other relatives. Uh, and I just got the call from the funeral director, went round to prepare for the funeral, met this 18-year-old girl, her boyfriend, and a long-lost auntie from somewhere who they didn't know very well. So sat down, talked with them, prayed with them, and uh, prepared the funeral service. And 
you know, it's a really sad situation. 18-year-old girl left on her own. It's, it's, you know, my heart was full of just compassion. Um, and at the end, I said, listen, can I just pray for you guys and just pray a blessing on your home? So, quick prayer, non, no magic, no shalabala, no whatever. It's just like a Lord, you know, it's just like, Lord, just bless these guys. Thank you, Father, you love this, you know, you're with them, you know, help them in their grief and help them to mourn and just, uh, and just be in this home. Just come and, and, and fill this home with your love and your presence. Amen. Really non-dramatic. Um, about ten days later, we did the funeral down at the Creme, the non-church people. And at the end of the funeral, I'm sort of shaking hands, you know, doing my, doing my ministerial thing. And um, the auntie grabbed me at the end and she said, oh, um, I just want to let you know the weirdest thing happened. Um, since the mum had died, uh, the daughter has been experiencing weird stuff in the house because her mum was a, a spiritualist and she often went to, for readings and seances and all this sort of stuff. Uh, the house has been freezing, doors have been banging, there's been a weird, scary presence upstairs and, um, and just lots of bumps in the night. So the daughter's not been able to sleep. Um, but she said, so I went, oh wow, that's horrible. Uh, she said, but the weirdest thing, since she prayed that blessing on us, for the last 10 days, no doors slamming, the house has been really warm, the daughter slept peacefully, no weird presence, scary presence upstairs, and uh, she slept like a baby and it felt really peaceful. So I said, that's awesome. That's good, isn't it? It gets better. Um, about three months later, I bumped into the daughter and her boyfriend. They came bounding up to me and they said, um, oh, no, 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 you never guess what, never guess what. We've just been for a reading. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I was like, why did you do that? <laughs> um, um, anyway, they said, we've been for a reading. And halfway through the reading, the person doing it suddenly stopped and said, can I just ask you, is your house like this? And they said the person described our house, exactly what it looked like. And then the person doing the reading said, and it's the weirdest thing, I can see all of these spirits. And it's like they're surrounding your house, like loads of them, loads of them, and they're all surrounding your property. But it's almost like they're forbidden from crossing the threshold. Has something happened to your home? It's almost like the spirits aren't allowed over the boundary of your property. They said, it's that thing you did. It's like you stopped the bad spirits from coming into our house. So, all I'm illustrating is, yeah. All I'm illustrating is, you know, this is what we carry. This is who we carry. And, and I think just knowing when we go to work, when we go here, there and everywhere, he is in us and we're in him. And he cannot help but be who he is and do what he does. Is that all right?
Great question. Is everyone okay? I, I'm going to make this the last one and then we'll, we'll, then we'll close up. Did you have a supplementary question? No, I just wanted to. Could you just clarify what you said? Yeah, sorry. Uh, I think your question was, um, should we be careful of practices that look like occultic, occultic practices? Yeah, but here are occultic practices. Yeah. Um, and also, where is it in the word and stuff like that? Yeah. And then we'll come into land. Um, we haven't given time to pray this morning, but I hope what I've been doing is just clearing away some of the wreckage um, that we've all maybe carried from past experiences or our own fears and foibles by, by hopefully bringing us some, some help today. Has it been helpful? Yeah. Okay. We've got to remember, what is the occult? The worship of the dark side is energised by Satan who masquerades as an angel of light. Okay? So anybody who comes under those practices is, is always to be loved because our battle is not against flesh and blood. So even the worst manifestation, uh, even the worst person on earth that we could think of is not too far from God's redemption. And Satan is intentionally seeking to emulate what really should be the preserve of the kingdom of God to deceive, to, to deceive and lead people into the dark side. So a lot of stuff that we would then associate with the dark side is often stuff that really, in its redeemed sense, should be the birthright of kingdom people. Um, but actually, these guys um, have, have just been come under the deception of Satan. I would add to that, because we're Westerners and we haven't really lived in a supernatural culture, we've despised the reality of the spiritual realm. I'm talking about generally as British you know, European people. Um, and so the church has been impoverished spiritually and therefore this has just opened the door for the enemy to just, he's the one who has all the magic because we haven't got any power. <laughs> Does this make sense? And it's so seductive and attractive because, you know, there's, there's, there's real stuff over here. And so it draws people in and, that, and that's where they get to. So I think having that framework really helps us begin to demystify people who are either engaging in weird spiritual practices or even, you know, um, partnering with the dark side. Then I would also answer that by saying, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he's the most unformulated person ever. And the problem is, we love formulas. Because in our fallen self, our hearts bend away from connection with his presence and relationship and we rely on what we, what we think that we know without asking him. We have a lesson about this 
through the provision of how God fed the people of God in the wilderness. They got in trouble when they stored up today's food because he wanted them to trust him every day. So the manna only literally rebuked them when they, oh, it might run out tomorrow. Because he wants, and that's an illustration, he wants us to live in daily fresh connection with him. Um, Not on what was really good yesterday. And this is, you know, this is so true of church meetings and why we try and train our guys to constantly be asking what is God doing in the room? Because like, we had a powerful time here on Sunday, didn't we? It's just a beautiful sense of the presence of, of God. But what we did won't work the same this coming Sunday. Because <laughs> it's not a formula. And we can maybe masquerade a bit, put some in the background and all of that stuff. But what we're about is what does God want to do today? How is he moving amongst us now? And God loves that because it means we have to go and ask him. And then he gets what he's always been excited about, which is relationship. Because then we're all coming saying, Lord, what are you going to do in Ashington this Sunday? And in Washington this Sunday? And in Whiston this Sunday? And then we're all coming as God's people saying, really, we're just excited to be in your presence. What are you going to do? And then those of us who are assigned to lead that meeting, we're saying, Lord, okay. And this is how I run a meeting. I give a couple of songs just to worship him for who he is. And then I'm starting to say, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing in the room? Um, Which is the scary bit, because you can't (laughs) pre-prepare. And he loves it when we do prepare. But the question then is, do you want to do something different to what I prepared? Because I ultimately want to know and partner with what you're doing now. Now let's bring that back into your question, which is about occultic practices. By remembering, how did Jesus minister? Sometimes he went... (laughs) Sometimes he put his fingers in someone's ears. (laughs) Sometimes he spat on someone's tongue. Sometimes he just gave a word. Sometimes he didn't do anything at all, but they touched his garments. You know, sometimes um, it, it's just different. Sometimes he walked on water. Um, you know, it's just different. And what I would say is, we probably, as the church, don't... Our problem is probably not being too wacky. Our problem is being afraid of getting something wrong. And, and sometimes it's just have a bit of fun with it. So I would say, if someone's, if someone's having a prophetic hand massage, or what's actually going on? What's actually going on is that you're using the power of touch, which releases impartation. So somebody who has the three persons of the Trinity resident within them is suddenly releasing that into somebody else and all that they are in God. And you're calling out of them who they truly are in the prophetic. Rock and roll. Um. <laughs> now, we don't have to be wacky for the sake of it. And some of Jesus' miracles are very, very normal. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. I've never met anyone in Israel like this. I am willing. 
and centurion gets home and his servants healed. There's no shalabala, there's no, you know, dancing with flags, there's no, you know, um, spitting on somebody, all of that. It's just a word. Um, but I want to be a place where someone can wave a flag because I don't want us to be sterile. Um, I don't want us to be a place of freedom. But not a place where someone can just be weird for the sake of it, but free in their expression. If you, you know, John, John Wimber, you can probably hear my roots coming out. John Wimber used to say, the graveyard is neat and tidy. But the kindergarten is messy, but it's where the new life is. And we're going to slobber over each other at times. There'll be a bit of snot that needs wiping. Yeah. That's where the new life is. And I've spent two, and this is, this is how I answer. I, I was getting questioned by this by some of my clergy colleagues a while back. What if there's some flesh going on when God is moving? And I said, honestly, I know that God is amongst us. But I wouldn't trade any. I, I've, I've been in situations where I've, I've shut things down too quickly for fear of a bit of flesh. If there's a bit of flesh, well, they'll work it out. And they'll fizzle away and all of that. But I want to be a place where he is with a bunch of imperfect people growing into being transformed into his glory. And I wouldn't trade a place where he is dwelling for anything in the world. And most people who operate in flesh, it fizzles, fizzles away, or they come out of it, or they can't stand it any longer and they go and find another church. <laughs> um, is that alright? Okay, let's stand together. Take care. 
Thank you for joining us on the Roots podcast. To connect with our community and to find other resources, visit chanctonbury.org.uk.